11. It's often called the Heroes of Faith chapter. Um, but I like the video that I, I chose that one, downloaded it yesterday. I thought that's good because the problem with looking at heroes of faith is we treat them over there, those heroes, you know. And we think to ourselves, we're not like them. The Bible says Elijah was a man like us, but you don't believe it. You don't think like that. You know, the people we're going to be talking about today, Abel, Enoch, next week, Noah, were people like us. That's why their faith is given to us, not just so we admire it, but we imitate it. All right? So we're going to go into Hebrews 11. Subject is faith. The application of all that we've already read about Jesus is how do we follow him? Let's pray. <clears throat> Losing my voice already. Lord Jesus, be honored in our thinking together now. Not just in my saying, but in our thinking and our receiving. We want to be built up by your word built up in our most holy, most precious faith, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 11. We're going to go from the beginning of the chapter again. Though bear in mind that Hebrews 10 almost finishes with the statement from Habakkuk 2 verse 4, that righteous one will live by his faith. The just will live by faith. Hebrews 11 is expounding that statement. How righteous people lived by faith, and how we therefore are to learn to live by faith. Okay? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval, and we're going to read about some men of old, not all of them one go, only two this week. By faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. The just shall live by faith. The great statement of the Reformation, but it was really Habakkuk 2 verse 4 that was being preached. It's quoted, I believe, by Paul in Romans 1, in Galatians 3, and Hebrews 10. A person is saved, justified before God, accepted, adopted by God, not by building up a balance of good works before God. It is not salvation by works, by performance, but simply by trusting and depending upon the goodness of God and the work of Christ Jesus. Righteousness through faith was not Luther's idea. It wasn't even Paul's. It was happening back then with the people we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. With Abel and Seth and Enoch and Methuselah and Noah and so on and so on. That's what these opening verses of Hebrews 11 are saying. Salvation by grace through faith was at work back then. Now you think, well, how come, how come? Weren't they under the Old Testament? No, they weren't under the Old Testament. The law of Moses hadn't been given. They weren't under the law. They were under God's covenant of grace, but looking forward to Messiah and a lamb who was to come. Abraham was saved by grace through faith in a Messiah who is yet to be. All right? They weren't saved by the old covenant. No one ever was. And it wasn't even given. Moses wasn't even a dream in someone's eye by now, as we talk about these people. 
So three men from the very earliest chapters of Genesis were all righteous through faith, saved by grace through faith in Messiah to come. His covenant which was yet to be sealed by his blood. And two, three of them even come before Abraham. They are Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Noah's a big character. We'll do him next week. Okay? We're dealing with two today. And I want to give you the background as well from the Old Testament so you get to know these people a bit. So let's think about Abel. Abel, who sacrificed by faith, who, made, who worshipped God through sacrifice. Now, Adam was, of course, the first man. And I'm quite sure that Adam later on lived by faith in the grace of God like as his sons and offspring did. But we know his name in scripture chiefly because of his responsibility for bringing us all as the head of the human race into sin through his rebellion against God. All right? Adam's name gets tarnished with the fall. And it's tough, but there it is, you know. His later life and maybe he lived a godly life and maybe he was a... Oh, sorry, it's foul. Um, Adam was not made a sinner. He wasn't born in sin. He chose to sin. And Scripture says that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. He made a deliberate choice to rebel against God. So the writer here doesn't go to Adam as an example of living by faith, by grace through faith. He goes to one of Adam's sons, the one called Abel. And Scripture says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. I'm going to read you the account from the Old Testament, from Genesis 4. Now the man Adam had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Cain was the firstborn, right? And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The account in Genesis continues with what then happened to Cain, but it's Abel that Hebrews 11 is pointing us to. The second son of 
Adam and Eve was the first man called righteous in the scriptures. Abel obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, about his sacrifice, in other words. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. It was by faith that Abel offered the better sacrifice. And it was by faith that he was accounted righteous. Righteous meaning being accepted, having right standing with God. Being in right relationship with the Most High. The foundation of righteous through faith was laid in Abel. Not by Luther or even Paul. Righteousness has always, always, always been by faith. Never by works or law keeping. It wasn't the technique of how Abel made his sacrifice. Though the fact that it was a firstborn lamb was appropriate. But that's not the whole story going on here. There was a difference between these two brothers in attitude. Abel came as a worshipper. He did it God's way. It seems to me and to many commentators as well that Cain came proud of his handiwork. Don't you know I grew these? Unlike him. He was proud. He was competitive. Abel acted with faith towards God. Cain, it seems, thought he deserved something. Abel looked to God, trusted God, and even depended and hoped in him for mercy and acceptance. Both brothers brought a sacrifice, but Abel did it God's way, with humility and with faith, and Cain, it seems to me, did it his way. And he was rejected. Do you know you can do religious and moral stuff without faith and it's worthless? What was up with Cain? Pride. He was competitive, he resented his brother. Perhaps he thought to himself, I I grew these by the sweat of my brow. He didn't work hard, the lambs themselves make themselves, don't they? Remember, pride was the first, the beginning of sin. Pride was how Satan fell And it then infected Adam. Pride that refuses to honor God and submit to God and obey God. God warned Cain that he needed to deal with his attitude. This this graphic picture, sin is crouching like like a lion, a tiger, a fierce animal. Sin is crouching at the doorway, ready to seize him. And Cain has got to deal with his heart and deal with his attitude or he's he's going to be taken, he's going to be mastered. But Cain did not act on God's warning. He didn't master his pride, so sin mastered him. And Cain, let me tell you, was a murderer in his heart before they ever got to the field. Abel was justified and accepted by faith in God. Sadly, Abel didn't get long to live by faith because his unbelieving, that's the word to put there, His unbelieving brother killed him. He and Cain walked out to a field and Abel didn't come back. His dead body lay there. Abel's blood called out from the ground for vengeance from God upon the murderer. And Hebrews says his blood still speaks. Well, in what way does his blood still speak? Well, it speaks as the testimony of a righteous man, as the blood of the first martyr for faith. You didn't think about that? Jesus did. I'll come to that in a minute. 
but also as the example of righteous blood that cries out for justice from God. See, Jesus said to the generation of his time, that upon them the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed by the altar, would be held accountable against them. Think of that. All that righteous blood calling for vengeance. In Revelation 6, the souls of those who've been killed rather than deny Jesus as Lord are pictured as crying out from the throne room of God. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? I'll tell you this from Scripture. All righteous blood shed will be avenged. Jesus said so. The Bible teaches so. God will not fail to do justice. It doesn't matter if people seem to get away with things in this life. They will not escape the justice of God. Abel was counted righteous through faith and was killed for it. All right? He was killed for it. When we go through Hebrews 11, you know, people who have this idea that if you're a righteous dude and and God's happy with you, you're going to be blessed and highly favored and have big cars and a big house and this and this and this. People get killed for being, being, being just. Yeah? Faithful, upright, godly people were killed and persecuted and sawn in two and stuff. Abel, first man, first man that God, in his word, calls righteous, was killed by a jealous, ambitious, vengeful, unbelieving, murderous brother. Cain left the family, he moved away. Genesis 4.16 puts it this way, he went out from the presence of the Lord. So the presence of the Lord was somehow there with Adam and with that tribe, with that family. But Cain left the family, and left the presence of the Lord. He, was an, he had an unbelieving heart. Adam and Eve then had a third son called Seth. And through Seth, a godly line of believing men and women continued. In fact, they're called in, in, in Genesis 6, the sons of God. Whilst through Cain, an ungodly line of humanity developed. Two very different tribes or lines of the human race. And we skip a few generations. We come to one of Seth's descendants. His name is Enoch. Enoch. Here it is in Scripture. By faith, Enoch was taken up. Does that mean he had faith to be taken up? He was believing to, be, to, to see God, to go to heaven that day? No, he wasn't believing to go to heaven that day. But the, but the result of his faith was that God took him up. Okay? Let's get this straight. He was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up he was pleasing to God. Enoch's faith wasn't seen in any one act like a sacrifice of a lamb because that's highlighted in the life of Abel. It was in a lifestyle. It says he walked with the Lord. Now in the Bible the expression walk means the whole lifestyle, okay? You understand that, don't you? Yeah? The way you walk, the way you behave, the way you conduct the whole of your life, that's, that's the way you walk, you know. Enoch obtained the witness that before he's being taken up, he was pleasing to God. What was it that pleased God? The way that Enoch walked with God. Now, he did that as a whole lifestyle, and I think there were also particular times when he went out for a walk and a conversation and a time of prayer with the Lord. 
I think he literally also went for walks with God. The whole account of Enoch is Genesis is this, okay? I can put it up on the screen, it's not very much. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Let me talk about Methuselah and Noah next time. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Faith means the connection and relationship between a person and God. Enoch had a continuing relationship with God. He walked with God times of prayer and also in the whole way of his life. Enoch walked with God. Now we need to understand that that is what we are called to today. No less than Enoch. We sang it earlier. Thank you very much, Debbie, for the songs. God is with us. He is on our side. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God's plan for us is this, that we live our lives with the Lord. Present. Yeah? Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That was still, the presence of the Lord was still with Adam, with the family. We live with the presence of the Lord. Enoch went for walks, literally, to enjoy the presence of the Lord. We go through life with God with us. Remember what Jesus said. I quoted it last week. It wasn't even in my notes. Matthew 11. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, uh, my, my great uncle was a farmer, champion plowman, and he used to plow with a pair of big horses which had a yoke across them. And, uh, you know, he, he drove a tractor the rest of the time, but on special occasions he used to get, borrow the horse. And he, he, he was a champion plowman. He, I've seen his medals and things for him. Stayed in his house, worked with him. If you're yoked, you're going in this direction with somebody else. Right? And Jesus says, I want you to go through life joined to me. I want you in every circumstance of life to be learning from me. And do you know what? It's not going to be hard work. It's going to be a whole lot easier than you doing it on your own. Will you allow that paraphrase? Yeah? His yoke is easy. His burden. Doing it on your own is tough. Doing it Jesus' way is easier. Duh. I think the Lord Jesus there is spilling out more, more about what it is to walk with God. It's to be yoked, it's to watch, it's to listen, it's to learn. It's to partner with the Lord Jesus in every part of life. Listen, he is never the observer whilst we perform. He's with us. Jesus repeatedly tells us in the John's Gospel that we are to live in him and have his words live in us so that he lives in us and with us. And it's to be a partnership in the whole of life. There's not time this morning to go back over those scriptures, but I want you to see that, that many of us carry a wrong mental image of what it is to be a Christian. You are not on the stage or on the playing field or even on the battlefield with God looking on to you. He is with us. That's not just a message for Christmas. It's a message for this week, this working week. 
Enoch didn't die. But God took him. Whether he took him up the way he took Elijah, we don't know. But God took Enoch because Enoch pleased God. Now, I'm not the first preacher to imagine that on one of those walks and talks with God, God simply took him home. And Enoch didn't go back to his family that day. And I'm, I'm, I've heard other preachers say it this way. That as they walked along, the Lord said to Enoch, Now we're nearer my home than yours, Enoch, so why didn't you just come with me? There's a gospel song, Lord, I'm, I'm too close, which has the chorus, I'm too close to heaven to turn around. And we'll play it for you later on for a, for a bit of fun but, um, at the end of the meeting. It seems to me like, you know, it's, okay, we'll go now. Now, think about it. There's Enoch, family man, yeah? He's still a youngster. You think, well, hang on, he was 365. Listen, in the generation when men were living to almost 1,000 years of age, 365 was not a beginnings. Yeah? It's, it's not even middle age. It's a third of a life. When people are living to 900 plus, as they were, according to Scripture, 365 is only a third of your life. This man was taken from his family in what for us is the equivalent of his 30s. Why? Because God was pleased with him. We think that when someone's taken, oh, you know, an early death, oh dear. And we're kind of implying they must, have, they must have done something. God wasn't pleased with them. Do you know in Scripture, God sometimes takes someone's life because he's displeased with them. And in other cases, he takes someone away because he's actually pleased with them. He loves them. That is so contrary to our thinking. We need to change our thinking. You see, Scripture says this, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. You know? And you know, by the time, that's, that's why it's good to have a few days between someone's death and a funeral usually, because by the funeral, we're Christians, we've got our heads around this. This person is now with the Lord. They have, they are, they've entered his presence, and you know, we're ready to sing hallelujah. Yeah? We've got to pass the pat. What you know, our feeling about it, and we need to deal with that, and that's why the funeral service and the, and, and the you know, the cemetery and whatever else are good for us because they help us to deal with the fact we've lost this person. But God has taken them to Himself if they're a Christian. They're with Him, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We better have some good doctrine about what happens when Christians die. Enoch went young, but he did so because God loved him. And then comes one of these great statements that are spattered through Hebrews about faith. We did that with one last week. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, who, we just read about two guys that pleased him, yes? Abel and Enoch. Bear that in mind. This is connected to those two men. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. There's a definition there, another one, of faith. Believing that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. See, there's lots of people who believe that a God exists. Yeah? Last time we checked, there are more people who believe that God exists than believe that God doesn't exist. 
yeah, in this country, if you're on the census and so on, there are more people who claim to have some sort of faith in a God than not. But you need more faith than that kind of faith. You need a faith which is in God through Jesus Christ. And actually here, this element needs to be added in. You believe, you really believe, he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's what pleases him. That's what he rewards. Abel brought a sacrifice which was pleasing to God. It was an evidence of the attitude of his heart, his believing heart. Enoch walked with God and pleased God. They both believed that God exists and they both sought him. Faith pleases God. Everyone who wants to please God must believe in him and seek him. It describes a God-centered relationship, not the getting of health and wealth by our efforts of positive thinking and confession. Enoch pleased God and was counted righteous because he trusted God. He was justified by faith and lived in faith. He was counted righteous and then lived in an appropriate way. Faith is really all that pleases God. It's only what is done in faith that pleases God. Not the doing of it, but the attitude in it. It comes from a believing heart, submitted heart. God rewards those who diligently seek him. In the same way we, can, we need to turn that first bit of Hebrews 6 into positive, perhaps. Hebrews 11, verse 6. You know, faith pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Let's turn it around. Faith pleases God. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Let's make that into a statement. God rewards those who diligently seek him. We have it from the teaching of Jesus in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, in his teaching on practicing practical righteousness, giving, praying, fasting, not to be seen by others but by God alone. God rewards those. In his teaching us to ask and to seek and to knock and to pray, God rewards those who ask. Those who pray privately, persistently, will be answered. Those who seek the Lord will find him. I ask the question, you know, when you read the Bible, you should ask questions of the verse, the scripture. But why is, that, why is it that word? Why not another word? Do you think that's been awkward? It's what preachers have to do, believe me. You have to kind of dig into the word. And I, the, the came to me, why seek him? Why doesn't it say serve him or love him or fear him? they're kind of true in other ways as well but here it says seek him well words matter and this word here is important and I came up one of my usual lists why do we need to seek God because we are sinners and he is the saviour we need his salvation we need his help we need his grace we are supplicants okay that's a fancy word I know We're, we're we're the ones who pray he's our supply We live by what he supplies. We live by the grace that we receive. We're not trying to build a life out of our own resources. They're not enough. We're not sufficient. We live by his supply. We simply ask to receive from him. We are weak and he is our strength. When you think you're not weak, you're in trouble. You're going to stumble. When you know you're weak, you rely on his strength. We are foolish. We don't like to think of ourselves like that, do we? But I've never seen a sheep with a high IQ yet. We are foolish, and he is our wisdom. We are his sheep, and he is a really good shepherd. 
That's why we need to seek him. God rewards those who diligently seek him. And seeking only happens by some choice and action on our part. We come and draw near to God, as Hebrews tells us repeatedly to do. And God rewards that decision and that action. It takes faith, determination. Now, the determination is sometimes born of desperation. How many of you know that? You get desperate enough, you start to pray. But God rewards those who seek him diligently, even if desperation got you there. He rewards those who do that. We receive grace and mercy to help in time of trouble through simply asking of God and seeking God in prayer. Now, I want to say again that there's a movement at work in the church, especially in the Western world, though it's gone into other areas as well. I would trace it to a devilish conspiracy to keep the children of God from actually praying and seeking God. There are people who, you know, go into the name and claim it, decree and declare some kinds of positive confession. Those kind of things are at work in the church, and they're the very opposite of diligently seeking him. That way of thinking short-circuits prayer and fasting and enduring. Jesus talked about somebody enduring and persisting in prayer. Right? He taught about it. And then he said this, and I didn't put this in my notes, he said this, but when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? And he's talking about prayer, persistent prayer. When I come, he said, will I find that kind of faith? And it seems to me there's a lot of talking about faith that takes people away from that kind of faith that Jesus taught about. Persistent, prayerful, asking and relying and receiving from God. It seeks to short-circuit it. It's sometimes subtle, it's sometimes overt, but the message of a lot of popular teaching is you don't need to pray, folks. Well, Jesus said we do, and I'll stick with him. He spoke a lot about prayer, and every time Jesus talked about prayer, he used one word every time, almost every time, almost every time, to be honest. Ask. But you, when you ask, he even puts it around the other way. He says, ask of me. You haven't asked anything yet, he said to the disciples. You haven't asked me anything yet. Ask of me, and you'll receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus says, ask. So I don't care what some preachers say. I'm so thankful that we're at Lighthouse. Kind of, we're kind of relearning all over again how to pray and seek the Lord. We're having some fun seeing God make some answers to our prayers. It's a delightful thing. Now, let me ask you a question. It's a tricky question. You know, there's no right or wrong here. Does God treat everyone the same? Think about it a minute. Does God think treat everyone the same? Well, we're not going to get into a big debate and discussion about election. That's another issue. But Truthfully, the only answer I can give to that is yes and no. See, he gives us, if we're his children, this is, okay, if we're, we're, we're Christians. He gives us the same promises. We have the same opportunities. We have the same grace of God available to us through Jesus. But Scripture is very clear. He rewards his children who do well, who please him. He rewards those who seek him diligently. He commends those who do well as good and faithful servants. And some of us don't pay much attention to that at all. We don't want to go there. I know people who bristle at the thought of God rewarding anybody for anything. It seems to offend them. And then there's others who say, well, I don't care about all that. As long as I get into heaven, that will do. 
I don't think that's a God-honoring attitude. I don't think that actually honors the grace of God. He rewards faith. Those who ask and seek and knock and pray and give and fast. Those who pursue knowing him more and want to please him. He rewards faith. So God treats us all the same in his offer of grace. But he does not treat us all the same when he rewards those who seek him and commends those who are good servants. There is a difference. Now let me make the connection. Some people, like Cain, look on the Lord blessing others like Abel and feel envy. Well, it's all right for them. Look, 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 you know. But the answer is this. God rewards those who diligently seek him. Go and do the same. This seeking is persistent, but it's not a performance. God is not impressed by how long or loud you pray. He rewards the purpose of your heart. The persistence of your heart. Your perseverance and patience. Keeping on, keeping on. Some people pray every day for something. And even go to their grave not seeing it, but God has heard those prayers. God has heard those prayers. He will reward those who diligently seek him. I, I know I keep repeating it, but I, I kind of want those words to be kind of fastened up here and in here and on there. You know, God rewards those who diligently seek him. Jesus commended some people for their great faith and rebuked others for their small faith. Well, a faith that diligently seeks him will be a strong faith. So seeking him is the best cure I can think of for a small and weak faith. See, you look at the Psalms again. Look at the Psalms. You come to the Lord as you are, feeling this, thinking this, and allow him to change, to renew, to challenge, to refresh. And you don't come out of those Psalms the way you go into them. And if you will use those Psalms faithfully, believingly, you won't finish the way you start. That's why times of prayer, you know, don't think you've got to impress God with the first words out of your mouth. Let them be honest words. But don't finish the time of prayer as you start. Make sure that before you say amen and tidy up or go walk, walk back home again or whatever it is, however you, you go and pray in you, a you know, private way, that you have received from God grace and mercy to help you because that is his promise. Make sure you know you've received grace and mercy. It will supply you. Walk with the Lord, seek the Lord. There's reward for doing so, both now and laid up in the future. You skip a few generations from Enoch, you come to another man called Noah, but he is for next time because there's a lot to say about that. The Lord calls us to come close, not just in terms of times of Christian meetings, Sunday service or midweek or, but as a lifestyle. Enoch walked with God and please God. The Lord calls us to a lifestyle of Christianity. 
of being a believing person who acts on that belief. Because you don't just believe that God exists. You don't just believe that Jesus died for you. Your life takes shape according to those truths. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, you say, show me, Lord, where do I start? Where where, where, where do I get in here? You are not being watched by God to see how you turn out. He actually wants you to know his presence with you and his help and supply and support in every day of your life. That is a biblical view of what it is to be a believing person, to be a Christian, to be someone who walks by faith. The just shall live. doesn't just come to life. is isn't just converted by, but lives by faith. We've got two wonderful examples. Both men, sorry ladies. There's some women further down the chapter. And they are not unlike us. We, and they had very little knowledge to go on. There is so much that most of us as Christians know about the Lord Jesus, about his atonement, about his resurrection, about his heavenly ministries. He makes intercession even now for us before the throne of God. We know so much. They knew so little, and yet they walked with God. They were justified by grace through faith with a little bit they knew. I sometimes think we should be ashamed of knowing so much and doing so little with it. But here's the invitation from the Lord. Do you want to do life with me? The Lord's saying that to you. Do you want to do life with me? First of all, you've got to humble your heart. Then you've got to believe that I'm with you. Then you've got to ask of me. And then I'll be supplying you and talking to you. And hey, let's do this, shall we? That's what the Lord's invitation to you is. Shall we do this together? That's what he says to you today. Shall we do life together? This is a whole bigger picture than go to church on Sunday, isn't it? A whole life in relationship, in reliance upon God through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we see the example in Scripture of godly men living by grace through faith. Long before you came, Lord Jesus. Now we have the gospel about the great God and his great son and his great love for us and his great grace to help us and rescue us and supply us and equip us. We pray that we might make a bigger response to these great things. That we might have a more believing heart that isn't wrestling with you to make something happen but relying upon you for every bit of life and strength and wisdom that you supply if we lack anything we're to ask of you because you richly supply you're glad when we acknowledge that we need wisdom you're glad when when we acknowledge that we're weak and need your strength because then you are glorified in being our supplier and our Savior, and our Helper. What an incredible thing that the eternal almighty God should delight in being the helper of men. That is the incredible statement of your grace towards us.
So we bow our hearts again today. Pray that we might learn to worship as Abel did, to work, walk with you as Enoch did. And that will be enough to get us going as we continue to learn what it is to live by faith. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.